In hearing nostalgic impressions, we hear the great trumpeter of our time, someone who's quite remarkable, Wynton Marsalis, who not only is a remarkable jazz artist, but classicalized master of a Haydn and a Mozart concerto, spanning both worlds. And we know that in this particular piece we heard, your father was playing piano, and your brother was playing tenor, and was he playing alto? Soprano. Soprano. I, well, one of the three I got. <laughs> I think Wynton Marsalis, who he is, we know that New Orleans was the beginning. I suppose in hearing this music with your father and brother, what's the first thought comes to your mind? Um, uh, many thoughts. I remember hearing my father play this tune with his band in, in the early 70s. This is before I really was interested in playing jazz. But just all through my life, I've heard my father play piano. And just at home and on gigs, I would go to a lot of his gigs. And just this, the sound of him playing is, a, is like a familiar sound. It reminds me of growing up. You know what I mean? Like other people have other memories of growing your childhood and stuff. Throughout the entirety of my life, I can just remember like the, the way my father plays or songs. That, even though when I was growing up, I didn't like that kind of music. Just that just always is in my mind. Yeah, we're talking about New Orleans now, aren't we? Yes, sir. With its own tradition of march. Well, did you hear on recordings elsewhere the marching band music or the New Orleans jazz? How did that... You, you said a moment ago that you didn't like it, you said. Yeah, well, I started off not wanting to play music at all. I, I just played music because my father played and my brother was, was uh, playing. When we were like eight and nine, nine and ten, we played with Danny Barker's band. It was called the Ridge, the Fairview Baptist Church Marching Band. That's a band that he had to expose younger musicians to the old New Orleans style music. And I would play, but I, didn't, I equated that music with something else. You know, I was culturally ignorant. So I wouldn't even listen to Louis Armstrong because I figured he was uncle an Uncle Tom or something. I was confused, you know, I didn't understand what that music really represented. So my realizations of, of what New Orleans music was didn't come until I was 18 or 19 years old. Oh, so in the beginning of that music is three, you said Tom music, that's put-down music, you thought, it's something to be ashamed of. Yeah, yeah, I had a distorted image of what those musicians were about, but that's because I never listened to that type of music. I knew the tunes like Oh When the Saints and Didn't He Ramble, Just a Closer Walk With Thee, just because everybody in New Orleans knew them. A second line, but um, so far as, as understanding... You point out the, perhaps that the second line are those who marched along with the band when, say, during a funeral, going to their coming back. And so that's what they knew. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know that. That's, that's part of our heritage. But the music, the actual music has been lost. So the, the, the nobility that's inherited in the music and what makes the music difficult, we didn't. I didn't, I didn't have that. Now, when did you come to realize that was a rich, that this is the indigenous American art form? Well, I always knew that, but I was coming, when I was about 12 years old, I realized that, but I came more from the bebop school musicians like Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and Miles Davis and Fasten Value because they were like rebellious. And I, I, was, I wasn't, I, that's what I gravitated more toward. And later you realize the beat, there could be no Charlie Parker or Dizzy or Miles without that, uh, the other. Well, the other ones were rebellious, too. Yeah. But just they were rebellious in another way because they were the foundation. Yeah. Like Louis Armstrong, he has everybody saying, yeah, man, and what's happening, and you know, all these things that we see are gestures that we see movie stars doing, like Marlon Brando and all these people, they imitating Louis Armstrong mm -hmm. now. 
So that's something that I didn't realize. So and then, now, but it was the horn, it was the trumpet, though, that you were taking to. Why the trumpet? Because your father was a piano man. And, uh, were you thinking of other instruments before that? No, I just, I had, I had a trumpet, so yeah. I played it. I didn't really yeah. pick that instrument. So in doing it, we're coming to you, the fact you were a classical artist, virtuoso. Was that, was that part of your early training, too? No, see, I started off listening to training. Um, Miles, and I wanted to play jazz, but the era that I grew up in, which is like the early 70s, I was in high school, there was, was no outlet for a jazz musician. If you said you wanted to play jazz, what did that mean? That meant you would have to go get a gig, you would have to choose what music you wanted to play, you would have to write the music, you would have to get the musicians to come rehearse, you would have to figure out what the history of the music was about, you would have to figure out what you wanted to play, which is impossible for a young musician. Whereas if you wanted to play classical music, you could go get lessons, play in a youth orchestra, or go to school and study what Bach and Beethoven did, win scholarships, go to summer music camps. See, the, the entire, there's a, a mass structure that supports European music. But when it comes to trying to learn how to play jazz, that's what my father meant when he said catching a snake. By the way, the, the phrase, catching a snake, is the name of a documentary involving you. It's your father's phrase, isn't it? Yes, sir. Why, Explain that phrase and, and knowledge of and and jazz. What what he was saying is that playing jazz now, in the contemporary sense, is like catching a snake, and it is almost impossible. You have to, you, as a young artist, you are responsible for providing your own environment. My father's era of music was blues based. In our time, it's not blues based; it's funk based. That's the popular music, and funk. A lot of instrumental versions of funk is like contrived blues. So it's harder for younger musicians to really get a thorough understanding and knowledge of the blues because we don't grow up listening to or playing blues. So it's easier for a young artist to be a classical musician than definitely. to be a jazz musician. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, most definitely. Both we swing because we want to hear you now in a Hummel. Hummel, you say, is an early 19th century composer. He wrote this concerto in 1804, yeah. 1803, and it premiered in 1804. Suppose we hear you, and then we come to you in classical music, how that came to be in your own experiences. This is the Hummel Concerto for trumpet. Wenton Marsalis, who in general consensus, hardly any dispute about it, is the most remarkable uh, trumpet player of our time in both fields, classical and jazz. <laughs> He's gesturing now big. The classical, how that came, beginnings of classical training for you. Let's see, when I was 12, I, I started playing trumpet, but I, I didn't like classical music. I had a teacher named John Longo. I really learned a lot from John. And I remember he used to um, put on Chicago Symphony recordings and say, man, listen to this guy, Adolf Herseth, who's the first trumpet in the Chicago Symphony. Hers said, this is a real trumpet sound. At first, I'd be like, man, I don't want to hear that classical music. I want to listen to Clifford. And then just first his influence made me start thinking about listening to classical music. And then I heard a, rec a Maurice Andre recording when I was like 13. It's like a year later. And when I heard that, I, I couldn't believe that he was playing the trumpet. He was playing piccolo trumpet, small trumpet. And after that, I went out and bought like a, a seven or eight of his albums and started really listening to them. And I went to, to high school. I took theory classes when I was 14, and we had to do analyze Bach, 
corrals and, and, and all of these farms and Sonata Lego farm and a bunch of stuff like that. And that got me really interested in classical music. That was it. As a form. Yeah. And I started listening to the music, not just the trumpet music. I would listen to Bartok, I'd listen to a lot of Beethoven's music, listen to Mahler, listen to um, Wagner, listen to a lot of different people. And then I just I developed a respect for the music. Aside from the trumpet parts. Yeah, because yeah, it's not it's that much written for trumpet. Yeah, there wasn't much there. Yeah. But you, you, this time you heard me, and then, then came Juilliard. Yeah, I, I went to Juilliard for for like a year, a year and a half. So I didn't really. I, I went to Juilliard mainly to get to New York. I wanted to go to, New, to York. New York. Now, by the time you got to Juilliard, it was a combination, now, wasn't it? You was this time you were mastering the classical repertoire. I wasn't, I mean, you, you never really master it, you know. Th these pieces, I, uh, the pieces like Hummel and Haydn and Leopold Mozart and Brandenburg Concerto, it, it, there's only about ten pieces for trumpet. So if you're serious about playing it, in two years you know all of the pieces. Mm. Like you know them from memory, you've heard them a million times. Then you have to refine your performance of them. And, and that's something that you do for the rest of your life. And yeah. you can never get something perfect. Well, I got to ask you before we hear Bell Ringer from one of the albums. We'll, put, we'll talk about the albums in a minute. Can you improvise in jazz? Of course, the heart is improvisation. Can you improvise while playing Hummel or Mozart or Haydn? No. What is it you could do that would make one performance different from another? Well, you just change your phrasing, but you can't really. You know, it's like putting salt or pepper on food. You didn't make the food. You're just embellishing it however you want to embellish it. And you can make the food taste differently, but you just still, a steak is still a steak. I mean, it's not, it won't taste like, a, like some shrimp or something. What you can do, what, what would make your performance different, say? If you would play a, a Haydn concerto and it's Bernstein conducting, and next time Ozawa's conducting, you know, how would your interpretation be different? Well, just certain phrases you might play a different way, the orchestra might play another way, you might miss some notes, <laughs> you might mess up. I mean, it changes all the time. No, I meant because it's not improvisation, well, but it, there's something... It changes. Yeah. It's very, it's very, there's very little change. You, the music will still sound like it sounds. There's subtleties yeah. that change and the yeah. nuances change. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's like if you speak and you had to read a speech. Yeah. You might say, and then I went to the store. You say, then I went to the store. You can change the... Yeah. You yeah. can refine that, but still the message and the essence of what you're saying is the you same. Know, one of the things you're contributing, aside from your artistry, is a respect for jazz on the part of those who may not have respected it enough. I mean, those who may admire the classical music and speak of jazz as a stepchild or something, you see. Yeah, that's just not, that's just lack of understanding. You know, when you don't understand, I mean, I, I was like that, not in respect to jazz, but like I, my, we spoke before of my um, tremendous ignorance of what Louis Armstrong was about. As, I mean, we all go through. As you grow, you just your ignorances fall away one yeah. by one because yeah. you realize more things. You know, so that's just a lot of people just are ignorant of the music. Yeah. So they make dumb statements, but it's all right because yeah. they just don't know. I was thinking and hearing a bell about that from one of your albums, Bell Ringer. Perhaps a little introduction to it, Bell Ringer. Um, that's based on a uh, Pablo Neruda poem that I read called the bell ring and uh, 
And this tune, I have like a little harmonic that the bass hits with the cymbal. Ping! Mm. It's like like a, like a, a one segment of the bell ringer. You, uh, you'd have to know the poem. With no, I don't know that poem, but it's funny you mentioned Neruda, because see, Neruda uses idiomatic language, the great Chilean guy, idiomatic language, just as blues. Yeah, he, it's, it's the same type of expression coming from uh, uh, innate understanding of what makes a, a certain class of people noble, as opposed to whatever the, the, con the pretension of nobility is, you know what I mean? But in this tune, I was trying to um, have a melody that every, every part of the melody came in would come in based on a cue. So that means it wouldn't be in a strict bar form. When we got in the studio, we, we couldn't do it, so I ended up having to put it in 4-4. Four, four. You know, it's exciting. We'll hear this bell ringer now. A piece of music by Wynton Marsalis, inspired by the reading of a poem by Pablo Neruda. See, what, what you do is you connect seemingly unconnectable things. Yeah, because that's, that's what, the, what the development is about. You know, the, that's what's, the, what's important and exciting about any work of art. It's not the initial statement, it's what happens after that. You know, you, you're trying to present something and then make everything that comes out of that a, a, an ex a logical extension. It just makes the piece as a whole more cohesive and more organic and just you want to exhibit more and more growth, greater growth and development and more insight as the piece goes along. You know, I think as you're talking, of course, and hearing you playing and hearing your work, something comes to my mind that your contribution, aside from your instrumental virtuosity, artistry, is that you connect seemingly disparate things and bring them together as, a, as you see, an organic whole. And so classical music and jazz, equally respected. Sure, you're talking I mean, about. they're the same. Both the musics are trying to speak to the human condition in the same way. Because jazz is American. So the, the concept that Beethoven had of, well, just think if we were all equal, just think if we didn't have to, if I didn't have to get off the street for count Wallenstein or whoever, just think if I didn't have to do this, things would be a certain way. In America, the, the concept is supposed to be, we, right now, you don't have to do that. All people are created equal. But Louis Armstrong is saying, well, damn, just think, we know that all people are supposed to be created equal. But just think if it really was like that. So what he's expressing when you hear his music is a profound respect for freedom because he understands what the uh, compromising of that high ideal is about. So you hear the same type of idealism and nobility in the music of Armstrong and Charlie Parker and Duke Ellington that you hear in the works of people like uh, Beethoven and uh, Stravinsky and Bartok. It's not accidental, is it, that... Beethoven chose a Schiller poem, All Manner Brothers. Allah mentioned Verdon Breed, All Manner Brothers, and Louis and Duke. Because it's ironic, isn't it? Duke Ellington never got a Guggenheim. You know that. Yeah. Duke, one of the most fertile of all American composers, never got a Guggenheim. Shows you, at least then, the lack of understanding and respect. That's, what, that's all it is. But, but the thing that's important to realize is that all of that doesn't make a difference. That means nothing. Duke Ellington's music is on recordings. And he received the, the gratitude of being great. I mean, he, like people always talk about Charlie Parker, and they say, oh, and Burr was, but he was a genius, so he had the greatest gift. And, and his music is documented, so we can benefit from that gift. The fact that he didn't win awards is not really 
I mean, it's something for us to look at and say, boy, this really was ironic how the society, but that's a reflection on the society because that had very little effect on Duke or Charlie Parker right. or Thelonious Monk or any of these great artists because their vision is intensely personal. And so is your vision, too. Oh, I mean, I don't know about and all we're that. we're talking <laughs> to Wynton Marsalis. We'll end with my idea, perhaps a word about that and touch a base, any base we haven't touched, if you like touching, before we say goodbye. I know you have to rush off. You have a commitment elsewhere. And this is by way of thanking you very much. But just uh, anything, any postscript. Well, this, my idea was just mainly a regular standard tune. You know, it's like, will I ever find the girl of my dreams, the one who is my ideal? It's just a love song, basically. And people are, he's wondering if he's ever going to find the well, girl of his dreams. <laughs> any uh, <laughs> P.S.? P.S. I don't think he found her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Wynton Marsalis. Thank you. Thank you very much.